bit of room left in you for the word today? How many were here last Sunday? Oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. My goodness. Man, we about, had to, we, we, we about pulled a double shift last Sunday. We, we about went into the afternoon. Some of y'all just pulling on the anointing so much. Come on, stand to your feet. We, we're, we're in this season right now, and, and God is doing something, and we thank God for it. Amen? Amen. And I, I, I don't believe today that I, I'm not really just coming with a message, if you can call it that, but, but really I'm coming today with an impartation. I'm coming today to advance us to a supernatural realm. And so today is more than a message. It's, it's more of an impartation. And that's kind of the vein that we're in right now and what God is saying to us. But I want to go this morning to the book of Revelation. And then we'll go back to Psalms, which was our theme verse for last week. But I want to go to Revelation. And I just want to warn you in advance now, I feel like preaching. I feel, I got three of you that feel like me preaching. I feel, I'm going to open this up before I get started. Because I'm going to have to wet the old whistle here at some point. But I feel like preaching. I feel like going after some things today. I feel like letting the devil know we win, you lose. Amen. Revelation chapter 3. Verse number one, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, he who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, I know your deeds, that you have a name, y'all see that, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead, wake up and strengthen the thing that remains, which were about to die, for I've not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people, look at your neighbor and say, there's a few of us now, just there's a few of us. But you have a few people in Sardis. You have a few people in Clouston. There's a few of us. God can work by many or by few. You have a few people in Clouston who have not soiled or stained or tarnished or polluted their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Notice in verse number two, he says, wake up. And strengthen the things that remain. Strengthen what remains. This, this is a direct quote from the Lord to a church that says, you got to wake up. You got to wake up and you got to strengthen what's left. In other words, don't let it die. Hold on to what you got. Hold on to the promises and don't let it die. All right, now watch this. Go with me to Psalms. This is our theme verse. Psalms 92. And I'm just picking this one verse here just so that we can get started today. Psalms 92. 
verse number 10. But you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox, and I have been anointed. Somebody shout, I'm anointed. I've been anointed with fresh oil. Fresh oil. Push on about three people and tell them there's some fresh oil in the house now. Some fresh oil in the house. So we've been talking to you over the last three or four or five weeks, whatever it's been now, about the power of place. The power of place. Last week we talked about all the places. All the places. This week I just want to add a subtitle to what we've been talking about, and I want to call it all the people. All the people. All the people. Look at your neighbor and say, you look slick today. Come on, tell them you look slick. You got some oil on you. You look slick. Come on. Come on, jump up in here in this Holy Ghost meeting with me. Come on, tell them you got some shine on you today. You got some shine on you today. You look oily. You look oily. You look oily. You're dripping with some oil today. There's some oily. I wonder if there's any oily people in the house today. Some oily, oily people. We've had some oily places, but now we need some oily, oily people for the oily places. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, this morning, I thank you for what you're going to do. Lord, I give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. Thank you today, Holy Spirit. Thank you today for meeting us. Thank you today that you are the preacher, the teacher, you're the revelator, you're the communicator, you're the revealer of all truth. Thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts and our lives today. And Lord, we give you praise in advance for everything that's about to take place in this room today. We honor you today. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody together said amen, amen, and amen. God bless you this morning. You can be seated. Let me just begin this morning a little bit by just working through a couple concepts that I've been thinking through and working through with the Lord. How many know that the battle that's waging in the earth right now is a battle for authority. What's going on in the earth right now is nothing more than a war that's being waged for authority. The struggle of our day is over who is going to be in charge, who is going to sit in seats of authority. And the devil would like to think that he's in charge but we already know what the Bible teaches us, that the earth belongs to the Lord. So everything that the devil does and everything that the devil is and everything that the devil represents, he is a usurper. He's a deceiver. The devil has no authority. And he has power, but it's only given to him by what we give access to. The devil really doesn't even work by power. He works by permission. So whatever you agree to, you empower Whatever you lend your agreement to is what you empower that with. So the devil, he has no authority because Jesus put it to us this way, I give you all authority, talking to his people. He says, I've given you all authority over heaven and in the earth. So if we have all authority, then the devil has no authority. So the only way that the devil has uh, any level of occupation or any kind of seat of influence is because he's been given that. Because he's a usurper and he's a deceiver. Because the earth doesn't belong to the devil. The earth belongs to the Lord. And just because evil is present 
it doesn't mean that God is absent. Are y'all tracking with me so far? So both God and Satan now, both God and Satan both know and understand that the authority in the earth is always released through people. How many of there's a kingdom of light and there's a kingdom of dark? Huh? And so the kingdom of light gets released through God's, God's people, and the kingdom of darkness gets released through the devil's influence, people that are tracking with him. Amen. So all earthly authority is literally directed and determined by those in authority, by leaders, those that are in charge, those who we follow, and those who we elevate. That's how authority gets released in the earth. So whoever is in charge will ultimately determine something about your life. I'm about to get to where I'm going. Y'all just hang out with me now. Look at your neighbor and say, he's going to get there now. Just help me out. I'm going to get there. Just don't check out with me because I'm going a little slow right now because I'm making some points here that will help validate for what God is saying to us in this moment. Whoever is in charge will ultimately determine something about your life. And right now, the body of Christ is standing in this space. It's a gap. It's what I'm calling the hinge of history. The body of Christ is literally standing in this hinge of history between the previous moves of God and the impending moves of God. Right now, the body of Christ in the earth is in the middle between what God has done and what God is about to do. We're standing in the gap what I'm calling the hinge of history. And in this hinge of history, we are being confronted with cultural shifts and cultural threats that's bigger than any one person. It's a threat that has positioned itself into a place without proper permission. The, the cultural shifts, let me just try to work this out a little bit here. The cultural shifts that are happening in our day are being manifested because there's somebody that's given power to it. The things that are affecting your life and my life on an everyday basis that are not, that are not godly, that are not wholesome, it's because somebody in power is given permission for that entity to thrive in the earth. And, and you have to know that we are up against a, a cultural shift that is taking place in the earth that's coming to rule and reign, that's coming to overthrow and disempower those that need to be in power. Yeah, so, 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 so in, this, in this hinge of history, the enemy is trying to exalt himself. He's trying to exalt wrong authorities, wrong ideologies, wrong leadership into a position that begins to occupy time and space. That's what he's trying to do. That's why you got to have some oily places. Because if you don't have oily places, the enemy begins to exalt his rule and his reign in those places. If your house is not an oily place, the enemy is going to exalt his rule, his might, his authority, in your house. If your life is not an holy place, you will be guided and directed by a wrong influence, a wrong ideology, 
a wrong mindset, a shift of the cultural things that are going on in the earth. So in this gap, in this hinge of history, it's where the church needs to begin to recognize and know that God is still at work even beyond the natural evidence. God's still working you. Even, you do, even though you don't see him, he's still working. <laughs> he, God is still at work in the earth today. And, and while you may not see the, the manifestation of his working, it doesn't mean that God has checked out. It doesn't mean that God has uh, uh, left us or, or, or abandoned us. God is still at work. And, and Job said, there was a time in my life when I looked to my left and I didn't see him. I looked to my right and I didn't see him. I looked ahead and he wasn't there. I looked behind me and he wasn't there. But God was still there. He was still there in everything that I went through. And I just want to encourage the church for a moment. You got to know, no matter what you're dealing with in life right now, God is still there. Even though the evidence doesn't support what you're believing for, God is still there in the midst of it. Because in the natural, we see to believe. But in the realm of the spirit, you believe in order to see. In in, in the natural, I got to see it to believe it. But in my spirit, I believe it so I can see it. And just because I don't see it with my eyes, don't mean I don't believe it with my spirit. And your spirit can recognize things. Watch me now. Track with me. Your spirit can recognize and discern things that your eyes cannot understand. That's why you can't ever count God out in the middle of all the craziness that's going on. When you look at the world, if you watch the news at any length of time, you're going to be on medication. You're going to become suicidal if you keep watching the news because according to the news, everything is bad. And if you're not careful, you'll start agreeing with what you see. Versus what your spirit is predicting. Because because my eyes don't have to see it to believe it. Because, in fact, your spirit man can discern things that your mind cannot comprehend. Your your spirit man is so far out in front of you that it it, it will take the logic and the reasoning of your mind time to adjust. That's why the Bible says you can't be conformed to this world, but be but be transformed, Romans 12, 2, by the renewing of your mind. So until your mind gets renewed, until your mind becomes like God, to, to the logos, to the logic of your thinking, begins to think like God, you're always going to relegate the realm of the spirit to a natural thing. But once your mind has been renewed, now your mind can come in agreement with your spirit. And once your mind and your spirit begin to agree, you can bind things on the earth. You can speak to principalities and powers. You can begin to deal with devils and doctrines, and you can bring strongholds down. Are you still here? Look at somebody and tell them, I'm oily today now. Just tell them, I'm oily. I'm getting somewhere. I'm getting somewhere. It's hard to have a move of God when our natural mind, our natural logic continues to override our spiritual belief. It's hard to advance the cause of Christ. It's hard to have a kingdom advancement when our mind keeps talking us out of what our spirit is declaring. My spirit can discern. My spirit can recognize. 
My spirit can advance me. That's why my spirit, that's why the Bible says we are led by the spirit of God. And those that are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I'm getting there. Waiting for a few more amens. There are powers that are sitting in positions of authority right now that look like they got the upper hand. But God. <laughs> I started to call this message, but God. <laughs> I'm telling you, it, whatever it appears to be right now, just put a but God on it. Whatever's going on in your life that ain't good, that ain't healthy, that ain't right, just say, but God. It may not look good right now, but God. God is not finished with what he started. He is going to do what he said he was going to do. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of a man that he should ever repent. If he said it, he's going to do it. If he spoke it, he will bring it to pass. And the weapons that are formed against me shall not prosper. Every tongue that rises against me, I'm going to vindicate it because that's my inheritance from the Lord. God has positioned me for victory. God has positioned me to overcome. I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. So, so everything that appears to be, just put a but, a but God on it, a but God. <laughs> so last week, let me just help us out just for a moment. Last week, I shared with you that prophetically, we're standing in what will prove to be the greatest hour that the church has ever seen. Prophetically, that's where our spirit is going. Because in every generation, God has strategically placed people at the right time, at the right place, to bring restoration and to manifest his glory in those places. In every generation, God has always had a people that held out. In every generation, come on, Sardis, come on, Clouston. In every generation, there's always a remnant of people who have not soiled their garments. In every generation, there is always a people who have not been defiled by the culture. In every generation since the dawn of time, God has always had a people that will believe his report over the report of the devil. In every generation, God has always had a people that will believe him against the odds. God has always had a people that will press through, fight through, overcome every obstacle. So that his glory can be manifested in those places. And you and I today have the privilege of living in a time where we get not only to witness the outpouring of God's spirit, but he's allowing us to participate with him. God is allowing us to work with what he's doing. He's allowing us to, to participate with him. Now look at this scripture right here. I gave it to you last week, but I want to just visit it one more time. Acts 17, Acts 17, verse number 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation. Notice that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope or go after him, for him. They grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Notice that God has determined and he's appointed our times and our places. Everybody has been determined a time and a place. Everybody. God has already marked the boundaries of your life. 
God has already set the time of your life and the existence of your life. It's already been marked out by heaven's calendar. And the purpose of that time and that place, the purpose of that time and that space, that place where God has assigned you is so that he would have a people in that place that would seek him. Because in their seeking, they would find him. And once they found him, he would manifest his glory in that place. And once the glory of God gets manifested in that place, every living thing that's been against you, every living thing that's been against God begins to surrender its power and its authority over to those who should be in charge. I'm going to get there. Just hang out with me for a moment. So that, that thought right there led me to this concept that I gave you last week. Who does the future belong to? Who does the future belong to? Eleanor, Eleanor Roosevelt said, the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. Anybody in here got a dream in your heart? Three of y'all do. The rest of y'all need an awakening. <laughs> anybody, anybody got a promise in your heart? The, 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 the future belongs to those who can believe in the beauty of their promise, their dreams. If you don't believe it, who will? Albert Einstein said the future belongs to those who can hear it coming. Hmm. I believe in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of all the struggle, in the midst of all the shaking that is taking place not only in America but worldwide, if we can hear the internal sound of an outpouring, if we can hear the the internal sound of a great outpouring or an awakening, then we began to move in that direction. If not, then we're going to be relegated to thought. We're going to be relegated to what our mind thinks. We're going to be relegated to what our eyes see. But if you can hear something in your spirit and begin to move toward it, if if you can just track with me for a moment, if you can begin to understand that what is happening in the earth today is part of God's plan so that the church can rise in victory. So everything we see going on around us should not shake us because did not he say that everything that can be shaken will be shaken, but everything that can remain will remain. So everything that we see going on around us is part of God's plan. It's part of the plan. And you say, well, it looks like the devil has the upper hand. I'm tell you something. The devil is nothing more than God's pet bulldog on a chain. The devil can only advance at the level that God lets him advance. Come on, talk to me in here. The the enemy has no authority, has no power over your life. God will just let him advance to a little bit, but it's like a dog on a chain. Once you get so far, he just snatches it right back and says, that's as far as you get to go. And if you don't believe me, just ask Job. When Satan tried to overcome Job, God said, you can do whatever you want to, but you don't get to kill him. And Job said, listen, Job Job said this to Satan. He said, listen, though you slay me, yet will I trust him. You can come against me, but I got enough power and belief in what I see in God that at the end of the day, no matter what you take me through, no matter how bad it may get, God is still on my side. God is still the victory in my life. Part of the commission that's going on in America for our churches in America is to revive dead saints. Because the movement that has taken place, if you don't become alive to God, if you don't become alive to what God is doing, then you're going to miss the outpouring over your life. That's why he said to the church at Sardis, you've got to strengthen what remains. 
wake up to what I'm doing in the earth. There are many modern-day theologians who study current affairs and compare them with New Testament times, and they're saying this. This will be a quote. They said that the movement in our day through the church is greater than what happened in the book of Acts. Yeah? Let me just remind you, in the book of Acts, entire cities, regions, and nations came into revival. In the book of Acts, there were strong outpourings that lasted for generations. And in the book of Acts, they had all these movements of God, watch this, without any political power on their side or any favor from the government. Because <laughs> the church can never be relegated to political favors and government favors. Thank God when it's right, it helps. But I'm telling you, at the end of the day, it don't stop God. And in the book of Acts, they overthrew cities, they subdued devils, they cast out devils, they healed the sick, they raised the dead, they had the outpourings of the Holy Spirit in their towns, in their cities, in their regions, in their neighborhoods, and they did it without the help of the government on their side. I'm trying to help us as a church in America. If you think that if we're going to line the government up, we're going to get a Christian nation. That has nothing to do with it. Thank God for righteous government. But at the end of the day, I'm not working my, my alliance to the government. At the end of the day, my alliance belongs to God. And it don't matter if Hitler is in power, the church can still rise. Come on, talk to me. It don't matter who is in charge, who is in authority. Because the ultimate authority comes to the church. We're at this tipping point. I was telling you last week, and I'm just going to run through these. I'm not trying to make, make a point out of them. I'm just trying to let you know where the church is at. Because on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost. Now that happens every 25 minutes. See, some of y'all can't even clap over that. I don't know what you're waiting on. I don't know what you're waiting on. Do you know each week over one million people give their life to Jesus Christ? Every single week, one million people. When we met last week, by the time we met, one million people gave their life to Christ. By last time, this time, this, this time last week, another one million people have given their life to Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I thank God. I'm just trying to let them know the devil don't have authority in the earth. The devil is a usurper, and God's plan will prevail. Every three seconds. Somebody in China gets born again every three seconds. <laughs> there are nations in Africa where 25,000 people are being born again in a day. Still working on that golf course clap. It's happening every day. Iran has the fastest growing church in the world. To this day, they have over a million believers where the gospel is not freely preached. I'm just trying to make us understand that the recovery of our cities and the recovery of our territories doesn't begin on Wall Street, doesn't begin in the White House. It begins in God's house. And if God's house can become awakened to what God is doing in the earth, I'm telling you, our cities can have revival. 
I'm telling you, there can be an outpouring in your family right here in Sugartown, right here in the Glaze region. I'm telling you, the Spirit of God can begin to move across this land like we've never had him move before. But this is not the time to play dead. This is not the time to be dead. This is the time to be awakened in your spirit and let what remains be strengthened, have a resolve in your life. Knowing that whatever he began, he's faithful to complete. The agenda of God has always been to restore his house first. Then cities can be restored. Let me just give you this right here. I was reading some stuff the other day and uh, came across this. And it, I know it's a couple years old, but it, it still holds a lot of merit. They say that there are certain diseases that have no cure. Things like heart disease, cancer. Alzheimer's, and AIDS. That's just to list a few. They have no known cure for some of these diseases. But here's one for you. If you have AIDS, if you're HIV positive, your best bet is to go to Nigeria. <laughs> Someone said, I ain't going there. Because there's a church in Nigeria where people are being healed of AIDS. This church, now this, is a, this article was a couple years old, so I don't know how big it is now, but this church was a church of 250,000 members. So far, they have over 10,000 confirmed healings of AIDS in one church. 10,000. Just to give you a perspective, that's more people that live in Clouston. So many people are being healed of AIDS that they make up now their own congregation. But to be a member of that congregation, you got to have the following. Number one, you need a doctor's certificate stating that you were diagnosed with AIDS. How do you like to have that membership? I got AIDS. I qualify. Number two, you need a doctor's certificate stating that now you no longer have AIDS. And number three, to be a member of this church, you need a third doctor's certificate with approval after several months stating that the healing took. <laughs> I'm just trying to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the church is not dead. I'm, I, listen, your house may be dead, but the church ain't dead. <laughs> God is moving in the earth. And, and, and the question was asked, why is God moving in these places? And here's the number one answer, because he was asked to. What would it look like in America if we just begin to invite God into our problems? What would it look like in our homes if we just begin to invite God and say, God, I don't want to live without you. I don't want to do it without you. I know I got wisdom. I know I got intellect. I know I got good jobs. I know I can do some good things. But at the end of the day, what if all that was secondary to his presence moving in your life? What if everything in the world didn't matter, but the, the main thing was God moving in your life? Because, ladies and gentlemen, you can have money, but money can't heal cancer. Money can't fix a child that's running away from God. Y'all not going to help me up in here. Y'all going to make me qualify everything. There comes a time when you got to have a people who are hungry for the things of God and they're pushing with God because they have a spirit that can discern that my future can be better. And it's not based on what I hear in my head, but it's based on what I believe in my spirit. Yes. 
So here, here we go. Let me, let me just get to where we got to go. We've got a few minutes left. In Scripture, we understand that the anointing, the oil, that's what we're talking about, the oil represents the anointing. Now, last week, we talked about oily places. We talked about oil in the ear. I mean, you got you to gotta be careful what you hear. We talked about oil in the womb. That means we got to be able to be willing to pour in the oil and the wine and people's hurt, people's pain. Then we talked about oil in the lampstand. That was out of the book of Zechariah. So today we're moving into these oily people. And how many know that all throughout the life of Jesus, we find that everything that Jesus did, he did not do it as the son of God. He did it as the son of man, anointed by God. Or in the context in which we're using, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Everything Jesus did, he did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. The thing that separated Jesus apart from everyone else was the oil. The oil represents the Holy Spirit. If he did everything as the Son of God, then you and I wouldn't have a chance. But he did everything as the Son of Man. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Even at his departure, when he was getting ready to ascend back into heaven, he gave his disciples, he says, I want you to go and I want you to change the world. But in order for you to change the world, this is what you got to do. You got to go back to Jerusalem first. And you got to find that upper room in the city of Jerusalem. And you got to hang out there until what's on me gets on you. You got to hang out in that upper room. And those 120 went to that upper room and they hung out. The Bible says, Jesus said it this way, you got to tarry until he comes. And so they begin to hang out in that upper room until the empowerment, the Holy Spirit, the oil began to fall in that upper room. And those 120 begin to stagger out from that upper room and they begin to speak in other tongues. And what I'm trying to say to you, ladies and gentlemen, it's not enough just to have a relationship with God. It's not enough just to have a head knowledge of God. You've got to have an empowerment of the Holy Spirit because I want to be honest with you today. At the end of the day, I don't know how believers make it without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit because if you don't have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you can go through religious games. You can go through religious calisthenics. You can just go through the motions of church stuff. But at the end of the day, if you're going to change your world, if you're going to change your culture, if you're going to change society, you've got to have what Jesus had. How many know that if Jesus had to have it, you and I better have it? He was empowered by the Holy Spirit to change the world. Because the assignment that I'm giving you requires the Holy Spirit. Because the assignment that I'm giving you is beyond natural abilities. This is where we lose it in America. Because we think our natural abilities can get us whatever we want. And nothing wrong with your natural abilities. We all should strive to be the best. I get it. I'm a part of that. I I do my best to be my best. But at the end of the day, there's things that I can't do without Him. At the end of the day, I need the power of the Holy Spirit operating in my life. 
And so many Christians are going just through the motions of church and they're just, they love Jesus. That's not in question. You love God, but you have no power. You have no enablement. You have no unction of the Holy Ghost. And that's why you stagger. That's why you fumble. That's why you gravitate back and forth. That's why you're vacillating in your commitment to the things of God because there's nothing stable in your life. Jesus was able to walk through an anti-God culture and not be moved by his critics, not be moved by Herod, not be moved by Pilate, not be moved by the religious world, and he kept his face like a flint because he knew it was for the joy that was set before him. He had a power and an enablement of the Holy Spirit. This will be on the screen for you. He converted us to commission us, not to quarantine us. He converted us to commission us, not to quarantine us. In other words, what I got can't stay hid. Can't stay locked up in a house. Come on, COVID-19. That's the agenda of the enemy. Shut the voice of God down. So let me do this real quickly because I'm going to run out of time if I don't. Let me give you three characteristics of holy people. Three characteristics of holy people. Number one. It requires a relationship with the oil. Holy people require a relationship with the oil. This will be on the screen for you. Jesus did not come just to show us what God could do. He came to show us what we could do when empowered by the Holy Spirit. Look at your neighbor and say, you got some power. You're looking slick, you're oily, you're greasy looking thing. Amen. There's nothing magical about the oil in and of itself. Y'all know that, right? We don't have to qualify all this. The oil is symbolic of what we believe in. The oil is symbolic of it. It's like the dove. The the dove that landed on Jesus when he came up out of his baptism is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. It's just symbolic of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's the oil that sets us apart. It's the oil that means a cut above. It's different. The anointing is different. It's not like everything else. In the Old Testament, the high priest was anointed in three different places. But before they could be anointed with the oil in three different places, they had to have the blood applied in those three different places. The blood had to be applied to his ear. The blood had to be applied to his thumb and to his toe. That's in Exodus 29.20. And once the blood was applied, then they would bring out the virgin oil. And then they would anoint the place, watch this, where the blood was applied. Once the blood was applied to the ear, then they would anoint the ear. Once the blood was applied to the the thumb, then they would anoint the thumb. Once the blood was applied to the toe, then they would begin to anoint the toe with that virgin oil. Meaning... He was anointed to hear something different. He was anointed to do something different. And he was anointed to go to different places. Come on, talk to me up in here. So the blood was applied first. Watch this. Because the oil can never be applied to flesh. The blood 
had to be applied first because the anointing never gets applied to flesh. It can only be applied to what's been redeemed. That's why you can't be anointed until you get saved first. Until the blood covers us, then you have no anointing. I hear people say sometimes, they'll hear somebody, secular singer, boy, they're anointed. No, they're just talented. Boy, they sure can sing or they sure can whatever. They're, they're so no, no, if they're not born again, they're not anointed. They're just talented. And I'll tell you something, talent may move you emotionally, but anointing will break strongholds. People get all caught up in their emotions, and they go, oh, I just feel so. I'm telling you, but at the end of the day, you're going to walk out, and you're going to be the same person. <laughs> the anointing means it's different. It's a cut above. It means that God takes our natural abilities. He takes our natural talents, and he redeems them, and then he anoints them to another dimension. Don't miss what I'm about to tell you. The anointing doesn't come to qualify laziness. It empowers what you're already using. This thing about people saying, well, I just, I just, I, just, I, I don't want to do nothing in the church. The anointing don't work on your laziness. <laughs> I'm not going to stay there because I, like, I felt that in my spirit. Like, mm, I, felt that, I felt that rejection really quick, so I'm going to move on. So God continues to call people in every generation to live in fresh oil. Somebody say, I got to have a relationship with the oil. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse number 1 says, uncovered oil is contaminated oil because it gathers dead flies. Dead flies contaminate the oil. They gather where the oil is not covered. Or protected. The downfall that we see in so many ministries, and I'm not, not throwing rocks at anything, but I'm going to say something. If you don't cover the anointing, if you don't protect the anointing, I don't care how high you rise, you're going to fall that much further. Because the anointing has to be covered. The anointing has to be protected. The anointing has to be guarded. I tell young preachers all the time, listen, you better watch what you watch. You better be careful what you listen to because you got an eye gate, you got an ear gate, and then you better watch how you say it because you got a mouth gate. And you can uncover yourself by what you see. You can uncover yourself by what you hear. And you can uncover yourself by the way you talk. And so, so, so there comes a time when, you, when, you, when you're maturing in the things of God that, that you know you got to guard the anointing because the anointing is sacred. The anointing is precious. It's the very thing that gave Jesus the ability and the power to overthrow darkness. You got to guard it, you got to protect it because not the flies are going to get on it. Dead things. The word, the word dead in the Greek is the word uh, necros. It's where we get our word necrophilia or necromancer. It means having a relationship with the dead or conjuring up the dead. We should be having a relationship with the oil, not with dead things. Amen, amen. Preach, Pastor. I'm trying, I'm trying. I just can't find no love right now. The understanding is, if you keep having relationships with dead issues, you contaminate the oil in your life. 
If you keep spending all your time rehearsing your pain, your hurts, and your regrets, your oil will become full of dead flies. Sooner or later, you got to know that I'm forgiven. I'm loved. And you can't just keep rehearsing everything that's bad. If you just keep rehearsing everything that's bad, you start attracting Beelzebub, who's the Lord of the flies, who's your enemy. You start attracting the powers of hell to your life. Let me just say it this way. If you complain all the time, you know what you're doing? You're attracting flies. If you fuss and gripe all the time, you know what you're doing? You're just attracting flies. If you're walking in unforgiveness, you know what you're doing? You're just attracting flies. If you're mean and hateful and always cutting somebody down, never can lift nobody up, you know what you're doing? You're just attracting dead flies. And now you're just having a contaminated oil. Now there's no life, there's no power, there's no honor, there's no glory, and God gets no credit. That's why we got to guard it. You got to guard the anointing. You got to have a relationship with it. Number two, holy people refuse to be quiet. I need probably the biggest amen on that one right there. The holy people refuse to be quiet. The reason why holy people need to refuse to be quiet because we are in battles. We are in a culture that has lost its ever-living mind. Wrong is being paraded as right, and right is being paraded as wrong. So in this hinge of history, we have all these entities, these powers. Let me put it to you that way. These powers that are trying to define the church. We have all these outside entities that are telling the church, you need to be quiet. I got a problem with that because the oil can't be quiet. I got a problem with me just sitting in my house and sucking my thumb and letting the world do what it wants to do. I have a problem with just throwing in the towel and say I give up while the world is going to hell in a hammock. I believe there's a movement. I believe there's an outpouring. And I refuse to be quiet about what God wants to do in my generation. They're trying, these entities, these powers are trying to define the role of the church and what we're supposed to be doing in the earth. People who are not a part of the church are trying to define the church. (laughs) And so they put questions out there like this. What should be the involvement of the church when it comes to education? What should be the involvement of the church when it comes to business? What should be the involvement of the church when it comes to entertainment, family, morality, or politics? What should be the role of the church's involvement concerning these things? Here's your answer. Whatever we want it to be. Got about four or five here, three or four over here. Come on, I'm waiting on this section here. Rise up. Rise up. Don't let the enemy steal your voice. 
Don't let the enemy steal your power. Don't let the enemy steal your glory. Our involvement should be in whatever we want it to be because God never surrendered this earth to the devil. He turned it over to the church, and it's the church that has the power. It's the church that has the authority. It's the church that walks over into demonically hell-inspired territories, and we say, loose them and let them go. That's the power of the church. So we're not just going to run to our little corner because you threatened us. In fact, in fact, in fact, the mere fact that you threatened us makes me want to fight harder. I'm trying to contain myself. It's never, it's never, don't, don't, let, the, don't let woke world fool you. It's never been the job of the government. It's never been the job of politicians. It's never been the job of Hollywood or big techs or any other entity to define the role of the church. The role of the church is defined by Jesus Christ, who's the head of this thing. Jesus never backed down from any role. Jesus never backed down from what he was called to do. He just kept moving. He ministered with people with love. He had compassion on people, but he never backed up. He kept moving forward, and he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You've got to repent. You've got to turn. You've got to change your ways. Because if you don't change your ways, guess what? You're going to wind up in a devil's hell. You're going to be separated from God throughout eternity. That was the role of thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Let it be done on earth just like it is in heaven. It's never been. I'm just trying to help us understand because I'm telling you, we're coming under all kinds of threats and it ain't going to get any better. That's why we can't be quiet because we're oily. Woo, touch somebody and say, you greasy thing. Just touch them and say, you greasy thing. Even if they censor us or try to shut us down, we refuse to be defined. You can listen. We we still been we're on Facebook. We've been banned on Facebook since last year. What's it called? Shadow ban. We've been shadow banned on Facebook. You know why? Because truth makes you think. Truth comes in at a different angle, says, and when you don't like truth, here's what the world does. We'll just cut them out. We'll just censor them. We'll just silence them. But I'm going to tell you something, baby. This gospel has not been censored for 2,000 years. You can hang every Christian, but there's going to be a remnant. There's going to be a place somewhere where God will raise up, and he will strengthen what remains. You can't kill the move of God. And let me just help qualify in case y'all wonder where I stand. Just look here. We didn't start this fight. The world did. And we're just fighting back. We didn't jump the fence. They came over into our yard. They said, we don't want the church in schools. I'm all right with that. Take your heathen self curriculum out of it. Teach our kids scholastic. Teach our kids reading, writing, and arithmetic. Uh, yeah, math. <laughs> Say that backwards. <laughs> we didn't start it. We're trying to push your vain philosophies, your woke mentality, 
Quit trying to drive it into my three-year-old. Y'all were the ones who were hiring teachers. Not y'all. Talking about the world. Y'all were the ones who were hiring teachers to teach our kids how to use sex toys. And you want me to be quiet about it? The devil is a lie. I'm telling you, I will go down swinging on that mountain right there. I will give every ounce of blood and breath I got. Y'all were the ones who were teaching them how to experiment with their gender. Y'all are the ones who brought hairy men and dressed them up like drag queens and put them in a library so they could read to our children. Y'all are the ones who are teaching our children gender identity, gender fluidity, moral relativism. Y'all are the ones who are said it's okay for my child to have two daddies. Y'all ain't got to say nothing. I'm just telling you, I refuse to be quiet. Y'all are the ones who are telling this is okay to kill our unborn babies. Y'all are the ones here, I'm telling the world, the world is the one who's trying to normalize pedophilia. It's the world that's trying to, trying to normalize it. And you know what? It's creeping in. It's creeping in. It's coming through social media. It's coming on your phone. It's coming in your television. And we sit there and we laugh and we say, oh, that's cute. I'm telling you, it's demonically inspired. It's to get you to agree. Y'all were the ones who said it was okay for Netflix to exploit our children. Oh, let me just go a little further. Y'all got time for just a little bit? Can I go a little deeper? Hey, Disney. Hey, Mickey Mouse. We refuse to be silent while you pick on our kids. Sexuality should be taught by the parents and not by somebody in a back room somewhere teaching them about sexual identity. And I don't care if Mickey Mouse likes it or don't. At the end of the day, some of y'all to boycott it. Some of y'all to let that... I'm just trying to say at the end of the day, you better take a stand and you better refuse to be quiet. Because we're only people. I don't, I don't want mixture. I don't want my oil to be contaminated. I don't want my garments to be soiled. I don't want my garments to be stained or polluted. Some of y'all remember on Monday, I think it was Monday, whenever it was last week, our Governor Ron DeSantis signed into law parental rights in education. It was a parental rights bill that prohibits. And just thank God, I, whatever y'all think about him, I don't care, but thank God this law is right. It prohibits teachers from instructing students on sexual orientation and gender identity. And the bill was for kindergarten through third grade. Can you even imagine? And now, now everybody that's on the wrong side that we would call the wrong, everybody on the other side, Hollywood, Disney, the woke culture, everybody's mad over that bill. Everybody's mad over that bill. I'm, talking, I'm trying to help you. If you, don't, if you don't agree with that bill, then you're going to be mad with everybody else. Wait, wait. Can you imagine teaching a kindergarten or a three-year-old on sexual identity? They don't have enough sense to brush their teeth every day. And we're going to give them power to make an identity choice when it comes to their sexuality? You have to know only God grants the right of male or female, not teachers, not government, not politicians. 
And I'm throwing a challenge out there to every teacher in here because we got a bunch of educators in here. When that comes rolling across your desk, you better open up your voice. You better be a mouthpiece. And you better say no in the name of Jesus. Well, what if they fire me? Well, what if they do? At least you're not contaminated. At least you don't have soiled garments. You got to fight for what's right. Stand in agreement with God. Fall out of agreement with woke. I, I just, 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 and, and I like entertainment as much as anybody else. I want to tell you something. If Hollywood falls off the map, I really don't care. Let God raise up Christian. And I don't care if I ever see Mickey Mouse again. Then. I don't care. I don't care. There's other theme parks. It's always been by God's design for parents to be an authority over their children, not the state. Just trying to help you understand where all this is coming from because somebody said, well, he's, he's back on politics. No, I'm ne I've never been on politics. I've been in kingdom. The church didn't wander into politics. The politics came in our yard. We didn't go into their yard. They walked up into our yard. <laughs> this, this will be a quote for you. It'll be on the screen. The church didn't spiritualize politics. Politics politicized spirituality. Politics have come into the church yard, ordering us to violate our oil, ordering us to violate our own conscience of what we believe about God. This will be on the screen for you. Here's another quote coming. When you obey an evil law, you're at odds with a divine law. And just because it's accepted in the culture don't mean it's God. We refuse to be quiet. If we had time, you can, uh, we won't read it there, but in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, if you read it in the message Bible, Jesus says, here's why you're here. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be a light. He goes on to say, not to be put under a bushel, not to be hid, but that your light will shine, and it will shine loud. But what if nobody likes me? Really? Get off of Facebook. Jesus was not crucified because he was popular. He was crucified because he was different. Y'all doing all right? Just, I want to land it right here. I see the, I see the run, run, runway, Don. I see the runway, Don. Don. I see it, Don. Don always helps me out. He's a, he's a pilot. I see it coming, Don. The lights are on. Gear's going down. The church is not an angry mob trying to create a, a theocracy. 
or just acting against evil. You've got to know that. And let me just help this. You don't legislate morality. You can't legislate morality. But we can sure enough fight against the legislation of immorality. That's why I'm saying, oh, you know, and, and, and it don't matter. It, well, it does matter, but, but, but if it never changes, the, sh- the church should never be quiet. Because when people see us gather, it ought to prick their conscience. That's why the church is here. We talked about that in the first couple meetings here on the power of place. The church is here to be the conscience of society. And we have to refuse to be quiet in a real loud world. All right, let me give you the last one so we can go home. Are you ready? Okay, only people have an uncommon anointing. Only people have an uncommon Jesus told the church at Sardis, you got to strengthen what remains. You got to take care of what's left. Don't let it die. Our ability to discern what we can and cannot embrace is critical to the continuation of our witness as a church. Because the question is being asked how much of culture are we to embrace in order to redeem it? Not everything in culture is bad. You embrace the good, but you reject the bad. If not, then we will continue to submit ourselves to the culture's temptation, and then we try to justify it with religious jargon. In the name of compassion, love, and cultural relevance. Because the moment you say we disagree, they say, oh, you hate me. That's their cop-out because they don't want to be held to truth. Just because I disagree with you don't mean I hate you. I mean, if you've been married for any length of time, you ought to say amen on that one. I mean, I, I, we, don't, we don't need to do a survey, but how many of you ever just had an argument with your husband or wife because you didn't agree with them? You don't hate them. You just disagree. Now, you may feel like you hate them. But you don't hate them. The church in Sardis, here's where we got to go because it's an uncommon anointing. The church in Sardis saw the culture, or no longer saw the culture as something to overcome, but they began to submit to it. This is what this this is Jesus' instructions to them. And notice Jesus did not hammer them for not winning the culture. He was hammering them for submitting to the culture within the church. It it wasn't that they had to change the culture. Just don't let the culture get in you. Because once it gets in you, now you're defiled. Your anointing is contaminated. Now there's no flow, there's no oil flowing. Belzebub, Lord of the Flies, has entrance. We don't have time to read this. Come on, Pastor Corey, you guys come on. Let me just get get this right here. 
But even in the midst of all that, there was a remnant. Touch somebody next to you and say, there's a remnant. Come on, tell them there's a remnant. There's a remnant. There's a remnant. In Exodus 28, 41, you don't have to turn there. It's just, it, just, it talks about how Moses was anointing Aaron and his sons for the priesthood. And it talks about how he anointed them. Them. Pronoun. He was anointing them. There was a corporate anointing that came on Aaron and his sons as priests. It was a common anointing for them. All the priesthood in Moses' day carried an anointing. It was common. It was a collective anointing on the entire priesthood on Aaron and all of his sons received it. Through the anointing that they had, they had access because you remember in the wilderness, the tabernacle, you had the outer court, the inner court, and the holy of holies. Right? This anointing gave them access to the outer court and the inner court. It was a common anointing. That's what it was. It's the outer court, inner court, holy of holies. This common anointing gave them access to the outer court and the inner court. They were anointed for business in the outer court and in the inner court. It was anointing that all the priesthoods of that day received while they served in the tabernacle. But when you get into Leviticus chapter 8, verse number 12, you find where Moses anoints Aaron again. Not everybody else. He puts on Aaron an anointing. This becomes an uncommon anointing because it only came to one person. And it will follow that one person all throughout Jewish history. This was the anointing of not just the priest, but the high priest. Because the priest had the outer court and the inner court. But the high priest could go from the outer court, the inner court, and into the Holy of Holies. The outer court and the inner court was controlled by natural light. It represents the realm of the flesh, what you can do, what you can fix, what you can handle. But then it gets really distinctive because to go behind the veil, to go where there's supernatural activity, to go where there's no hindrance to a supernatural realm, it takes an uncommon anointing. And Aaron got an anointing that would bypass the fleshly realm. Aaron got an anointing that would bypass what you could do in the natural. Because when you move in here, when you move into the Holy of Holies, now there is no natural light because it's sustained by God's light. Now it's sustained by a supernatural activity that you had nothing to do with. And what God is saying to the house, I want to take you from an outer court anointing. I want to take you from an inner court anointing. And I want to move you into an uncommon anointing that puts you in the place where things cannot be defined, where things cannot be explained. I'm just trying to help somebody to understand today, I don't care what you're going through, you can have an uncommon anointing that can move you into a supernatural realm where you begin to draw on the things of God where man can't fix it, man can't help it, man don't have the ability to prop it up, but God begins to sustain his own power and his own authority. How many are ready for an uncommon anointing? Come on, if you're ready for that, jump up on your feet and give God a praise right there. Come on, give him a praise. 
Come on, give him a praise. You can do better than that. It's anointing. It's an anointing that goes beyond the fleshly realm. Beyond what you can manage. Because while they're in the outer court, inner court, people had to bring them bread. Man was supplying. Man was making it happen. But when you get into the Holy of Holies, it's sustained by God. Remember we talked about it in Zechariah last week. In that holy place, they had a candlestick. They had a lampstand. But it was being supplied by supernatural oil that continued to drip. Man didn't supply the oil in that place. It's supplied by God and God alone. Amen? And that's where God's taking us today. Supernatural oil. Come on all over the building. Lift your hands and just begin to worship him. Come on. Can you take a moment and say, God, I'm thanking you for the uncommon anointing right now. It's the realm that represents progress. It's the realm where God takes me beyond my ability. It's the realm where God dwells. Lord, today, baptize us with an uncommon oil. Give us a presence in our life. David said in Psalms 92, I've been anointed with fresh oil. Fresh oil for a fresh move, for an outpouring. In the name of Jesus. Come on, can I just hear your voice? Can you just begin to lift it up and say, God, I'm, I'm calling out for it. Lord, I'm calling out for it. I got to have a relationship with the oil. I refuse to be quiet and I need something in common in my life. Everything in my life is trying to predict me to be something that I'm not. The culture is pressing in. The powers of hell are pressing in, but I refuse. I refuse. Come on, I need some saints. I need the strength of God in the house. Come on, just lift your voice. Lift your voice. Come on, people of God. We needed an uncommon anointing. Impartation. Feel this go. Come on, let the hunger rise. Let the cry rise. How bad do you want it? How bad do you need it?
dismiss everybody, but we, we're keeping this oil out here because I believe people need to be renewed. I, need people, I believe people need to be refreshed. We started this thing last week where people were just being soaked in God's presence and they were being anointed with fresh oil. And, and our, our, our teams are going to be up here, our altar teams, our, our staff and pastoral teams, everybody's going to be up here. We're just going to continue to do that. If you need to go, we'll let you dismiss you in just a moment. But just before we do, why don't everybody just bow your heads in this place just for a moment. We just want to make sure that everybody in this room today before you leave, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you can never have a relationship with the oil without a relationship with him first. The blood has to be applied to flesh, and then the oil can be applied for empowerment. And maybe you're in this room today, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you did at one time, and maybe you're in a backslidden condition, and you just don't know where you stand in your relationship with the Lord today. It just maybe, maybe something happened in your life, and you got off track. But today you're just saying, you know what, I just feel like i got to get it right. I just need to make a fresh commitment or maybe a first-time commitment and give my life to Jesus Christ. It really is time to come home. It really is time to surrender. It really is time to let him be Lord over your life. Quit trying to manage it without him. And there's two types of people in this room today, those that are born again, that have a relationship with him and those that are not those that are on their way to heaven and those that are not. And maybe you're in this room today and you just say, you know what, Chuck, I don't know. I don't know where I stand today. This is where I'm at. And I just, I know I got to get it right. If that's you in this place, just lift your hand right where you are. We just want to acknowledge that. We want to make a prayer with you today. And you're saying, I'm going to make it right today. God bless you. I see your hand. I see your hand. I'm just scanning the audience, just making sure today that today you don't miss what God is doing. We've had like nine or ten people giving their heart to Jesus over the course of the last several weeks. And today you want to be a part of that. You want to come home to the family of God. You want to be in that family. Just slip your hand up right there where you are. It takes a lot of courage, but you can do it today because the strength of the Lord is in this room today to help you. In Jesus' name. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Now I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. All, all I want is about 30 seconds. I want to pray a 30-second prayer with you, and then it's going to be over. Just give me 30 seconds to make this prayer with you. If you raised your hand, will you just come out of your seat right there where you are? Our worship team, our altar team is coming up here to meet you. We're going to pray with you today. Come on, just step out of your seat. Those that raise their hands, come on. Come on, young man. Come on, Michael. Come on, young man. There you go. Come on, let's give God praise. Anybody else? Come on, I saw a hand over here. Just raising your hands. Just get somebody behind me. Michael, I know what you're doing today. I appreciate that. Thank you. In the name of the Lord. Let's do this together, church. We're going to do it together in concert. This is the way it works. All over the world, when we raise our hands, it's a sign of surrender. You're saying, I'm surrendering my life. I'm surrendering my life. When we raise our hand, we say we surrender. But this is what we got to do. The Bible says... That we'll confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we'll be saved. We'll be saved. Today, you're going to be saved. Today, you're going to feel it again. A 
fresh touch coming back into your life. But I want you to pray this prayer with me, and the whole church is going to pray it so we don't single anybody out. We're going to pray it together because we got to believe in our heart. We confess with our mouth, but we believe in our hearts. So pray this prayer with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you just like I am. And I'm asking you today to forgive me of my sins. And today I take a stand and I repent of all my sins. And I thank you today that the blood of Jesus is more powerful than what the enemy could ever do to me. And the blood today cleanses me, washes me, and makes me white all over again. And I thank you today for saving my soul. And I commit today, from this day forward, to live my life following after you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody together said amen. I get excited when somebody comes to Jesus. I get excited. This is what we're going to do. I want to pray a prayer of release over you so you can feel free to leave. But our, our teams are going to be up here. Some of our pastoral team, our elders, people are going to be here. And you're saying, you know what? I just need fresh oil in my life. I just need a fresh impartation of the Holy Spirit in my life. We're going to be here. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for you. Because I believe in fresh touch. David said, I was anointed with fresh oil. Fresh oil for the day. Fresh oil for the hour. Fresh oil for my generation. Amen. Father, I speak over your people today. Lord, I thank you that you will bless them coming in and bless them going out. Make them the head and not the tail. Make them above only and not beneath. Thank you today, Lord, that we are holy people moving into holy places because there's power, there's power in the oil. Lord, we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and we give you all the praise and the glory now. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody together said amen and amen, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed if you need to go. We're going to be up here this morning. If you want some prayer, just come on up here.